This is a Valerie Moss original podcast. Hey everyone, this is part two of my interview with Dave Sweet and his book, Skeletons in My Closet. If you haven't listened to part one, there's a link to it in my show notes. It would be advantageous for you to listen because we ended part one in the middle of a story. And today I'm going to start this part with the continuation of the story. We're also going to delve way more into this book and their partnership in writing it. More about being undercover, inspiring, and life lessons we will get into today like... If you wish to keep your relationship in proper balance, remain true to your word. Absolutes can be dangerously limited and void us of creative, advantageous thoughts. And define what success actually means to you. Welcome back to Valerie's Variety Podcast with your host, me, Valerie Moss. This show is about eating, reading, and creating. How these three things influence us every day. And the people that make this happen, isn't it you, or me, or our friends? Here's the continuation of the story from yesterday. Full disclosure, I couldn't really stay composed through the reading from Dave. It was him and his son. First impressions. My family and I were fortunate to live in a nice middle-class neighborhood where appearance and status mattered. One day, my three-year-old son and I had been sent to run some errands, pick up groceries for the week, like any other day. We entered the store and went about our business, selecting our eggs, milk, meat, and cereals. Happy my son sat in the cart as we made our way through the store. As we turned down our next aisle, I heard a young boy say, Look at that guy, Mom. My son and I both turned to see a young boy with his well-groomed mother pointing at me. Look at that guy, Mom, he repeated, this time catching his mom's attention. As her eyes met mine, I saw them widen before an expression of fear or disgust flashed on her face. Quiet, she answered, and they promptly fled the aisle. Without missing a beat, my boy, realizing what had just happened, put his hands on mine and rubbed them, proclaiming, You're the best dad ever. I love you. That day stayed with me, my son's innate social wisdom and compassion, and the knee-jerk reaction of the well-heeled mom and her son. That response became our new normal. Whenever I was with my spouse and kids at the zoo, the mall, or an amusement park, people stared. The judgment and disapproval were clear. Those poor kids. When they saw the pretty brunette with me, I can only assume those confused stares meant they were trying to figure out if she was my sister or maybe my parole officer. I'm certain they never suspected 
She was my wife at the time. Bargaining mostly for drug crimes. Um, So how long were you undercover for? Three years. Three years, okay. Where I was doing the actual, you know, daily grind. Yeah, I was in the mix. And then um, I was actually transferred out. Uh, and put in charge of a project team mm-hmm. um, that was uh, targeting a, a gang group in Calgary. And then uh, I did that for about nine months. And then I was promoted, actually, after that. And I stayed within our organized crime section, investigating uh, gang members and gang, gang-type gang crimes mm-hmm. for another year, year and a half. And then I was invited to go into the homicide unit. Oh, okay. So what, so what is your title? I'm a detective. You're a detective. Okay. And so what would be your next move up if you were to move if I was somewhere to, that you would prefer to be? Which I will never. Can I answer? Uh, yeah. Which Please. Zamboni driver? <laughs> yes. I love the word Zamboni. <laughs> I, my next move, I will be a Zamboni driver one day. You mark my words. Um, I will. Uh, I am happy uh, I where I am. Yeah. And I'm happy as an investigator. Um you're still doing a little bit of the trench work, mm-hmm. you know, although most of it is really, you know, still done by our um, very, very important uniformed officers. And, and uh, for sure, you know, yeah. they're the ones that are actually really in the trenches. But um, in my rank, in my position, I still have the ability to, you know, be part of um, police work. Right. And so uh, the next move would be to uh, a rank in Calgary that's called Staff Sergeant. Okay. And then from there, you know, you go up to an inspector and a superintendent, deputy chief, and then chief. And as those, uh, um, although that's people in our organization. I always have to ask them, what, what's the, yeah, how does it go? go? That's not what law and order says. And and within any, yeah, yeah. I haven't seen that on CSI lately, Dave. And so within any, within any organization, there are certainly people that um, absolutely want to, you know, be part of, um, you know, the, you know, sort of the higher rank structure. And, mm-hmm. and it's great. And it's, it's fantastic. We have people that are willing to step up and do that. Uh, myself, I want to not be. Right. Uh, so I'm happy where I yeah, am. Yeah, you're kind of like at a level where you want to yeah. remain. Yeah. Okay, I want to know about your grandfather, because mm-hmm. ultimately he was kind of your starting point in being a police officer or a person in yeah, your he, position. Is so, this your mom's side or your dad's? Yeah, so he was, she, he was on my mom's side. Okay. Um, he's a real mysterious man. Hmm. And to this day, he's still very mysterious. There's not a lot known about him. I mean, we know a little bit. Um, ancestry... You know, uh, some of these, some of these sites have sort of helped shed a little bit of light, um, on so a little bit more of his life. So if he had written a book. Yeah. Right? Well, journal. but what, what was there was articles about him. So he, oh, interesting. so he was a, he was a police officer, uh, in New York from, uh, 1904. Mm-hmm. Um, to, I believe, about 1914. It might have been 1912. I can't and remember. And what was his name, Dave? His his name was David Young. Oh, so you were named after him? Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. And um, he worked in New York City. 
And um, at some point in time, he made the decision to move from New York um, and come to Canada. Mm-hmm. Why he did that move, I'm not 100% mm-hmm, sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but he ends up, but he lands in uh, Edmonton, Alberta. And um, um, my grandmother was 30 years younger when he met her. I actually believe... 30 years. Yeah. I believe there was I'm sure a, her dad was happy. No. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, what? 30 years, 30 years uh, younger, 28 years, I guess. But, um, and, uh, they started a family. Uh, they had my mom and my, my aunt. And of course, because of the age difference, uh, he was dead, dead by the time I was ever even a thought. Right. And so what I was left with was a few um, stories that my mom would tell about mm-hmm. him. And he was a strict disciplinarian. He was absolutely from a different generation. But his career was interesting to me. And my mom had kept memorabilia from that time. Oh, neat. So um, at, ho- at home, I still have the old hat pins and, mm. you know, uh, a few little mementos that came from his uniform at that time. And uh, a dozen or so newspaper articles about some of his exploits over that 10 years oh, when he was with the New York Police okay, Department. Yeah. And you'll find one of them at the very back of the book. Okay. Um, and it's, uh, you know, these just different stories. There were stories about my grandfather chasing people over rooftops in New York City in like 1904. Like, what does that look like? Right. And of course, as a. When's the last time you chased somebody over a rooftop? I've never. Never? What? I know. They've been doing that for ages. I know. And just can you imagine 1904, the steam coming up from the buildings in the middle of the night and the moon is well, the only thing that's really light. Everything about you know, it. The moon's the only thing that lights your way. And I just, these were the images that I kind of grew up sort of thinking about. But um, policing's a funny thing. And back in uh, the um, mid-90s, you know, it's a career that not everybody gets to do. Right. And so I was cognizant of that and uh, started a a, a program at Mount Royal that was going to kind of gear me towards a physical education diploma or degree. Oh, okay. I thought being a phys ed teacher would be a pretty cool thing. Mm-hmm. It'd be very fun. Yeah. And I don't it's, think so. <laughs> no, I see for me, I just love the idea of being in a place where you, you know, you can kind of play all day. And so I, uh, I sort of started that way, but anybody that's ever known a police officer, um, or somebody who wants to be a police officer, that, there's a little nagging thing that's just inside somebody. You can't really ever stop it. It just is there. And that was there for me as well. I've actually heard that. Like I have friends I was sharing with you that are police and it's like the dad and then the brother and the sister and, you know, the mom dabbled in it or cousins. Like it's kind of in, it's in the blood of the family or something, right? It's the weirdest thing, but like, when I hear like a little boy say to me that he wants to be a police officer one day, mm-hmm. there is almost zero doubt in my mind that he will at some point in time or she will at some point in time try. Okay. Interesting. It's, it's just a thing that's a seed that's sort of just planted very early on. I don't know why it comes or how mm-hmm. it comes about. Mm-hmm. For me, uh, it was learning about a grandfather that I didn't know. Right. Um, 
that that kind of mystery or something yeah potentially you know hardy boys was a big thing back in the day (laughs) didn't we talk about hardy boys (laughs) and so uh whatever it was this was uh this is what i wanted to do and i had a i'm very fortunate come from a family that uh, my parents supported both all of their kids uh with their sort of own aspirations and dreams come from a family of science. So, mm. you know, it would have been very easy for, I think, my father and my mom to want to plug me into, a, you know, sort of a science background mm. or a teaching background was, was what my mom had done. But they let each of us be our own people. And uh, I'm sitting in Mount Royal University or college at that time. It's now a university. And mm-hmm. I still say Mount Royal College. <laughs> yeah. And I, I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm uh, happy taking my phys ed courses, but I still am interested in serial killers and um, mysteries and and all of those kinds of things. And so uh, I changed I changed disciplines. I went Neat. to and I started their criminology program, and uh, that's when I sort of made a decision that I was going to give this a try. Right. And uh, fortunately, I was selected to be, you know, uh, a recruit mm. in the 125th class. Oh, okay. Wow. Uh, and so from that point forward, um, uh, yeah, the rest has been history. So thank you, Grandpa Dave. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. For being is, an enigma. Yeah. yeah, for being an enigma. That's right. And was he a justice of the peace in he Alberta? He was. He was a justice of the peace in Alberta. Wow. Yeah. I have his old uh, justice of the peace manual from 1917. Oh, my gosh. And I need cool. to get that down to the courthouse because I think that the... Um, the justice of the peace that we have working now would be right. a real kick out of, uh, and so, so oh, some of the judges. I mean, the history, right? It would yeah. be incredible. Yeah. They'd probably know his name or come across. Well, I don't know, but his... like, it's just amazing their fee schedules, you know, like back mm-hmm. then you got paid for issuing things that I just, you know. <laughs> like what? Like if you were going to issue a search warrant, you got paid, the justice of the peace got paid for issuing the search warrant. What? So. Of course, he's going to sign the search warrant because yes, right? he's going to get twenty five cents for it. Yeah, um, big money then. Yeah, it right. was. Uh, it was a totally different. Anyways, I. So you're saying that system is not in place now? No, and okay. I should never been. I never have. <laughs> Just been wanted to clarify. Yes, and it's it not never twenty five cents place. either. And it should never have been in place. That but sounds like a little bit of. Um, yeah, it was crazy. Quite illusion. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, whoops. Yeah. So. Anyways, he yeah, probably didn't want that to be found, Dave. Well, I don't know what happened. Yeah. It's safe and sound. So, um, yeah, so that's what he was. He was a justice mm. of the peace. And then, um, of course, uh, he had died well before I was born. So, right. And there's not a lot no, more known about that, about him. Well, now you can carry on the, the legacy of yeah. being in the place first. And what about you? What about your writing history? Uh, Were you always a writer? I know you weren't because you like to dig in rocks and stuff. Yeah. um, Um, I know your archaeologist background, which is like, what? How did you even (laughs) get here from there in a nutshell? No. So tell me how you got into writing. Were you always a writer? Did you always like? No. uh, No, not. I voracious reader okay voracious reader yeah starts starts with that i think hey yeah and when i was gosh maybe 11 years 11 years ago yeah one of my um i thought you were gonna say 11 years old no no that was a long time ago sarah (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> no, 11 years ago, um, a published writer friend of mine, just chatting on the phone with her, and she was, she told me that she was, had this series idea and told me about it, and basically all the authors look at the same picture, write a story about the picture. Oh, I that's love the that. Isn't that a cool idea? Yeah. They, that's a, they do that. So I'm a project manager. Yeah. And they do that kind of thing mm-hmm. when we're when we're doing our schooling. So they have like 14 things you have to put in a box. Mm-hmm. And it could be like different colors, different shapes, box different sizes. And so all the groups have to manage putting all of these things into a box. So mm-hmm. to build the framework for project management, it's all about framework. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So to build the framework and then what processes did you use to do that? So kind of yeah. different perspective. And how different people will come up with different Think. processes. Yeah. And how yeah. it's so subjective and okay, yeah. cool. In this case, instead of a, 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 a process, yeah. it, it was a story. Mm-hmm. And then for the next two months, like a story started kicking around in my head and then the next time we were chatting on the phone, I just mentioned it to her. And she's like, well, write it. I'm like, but I'm not a writer. And she's like, how do you know? Yeah. Just try. Like, so I'm like, okay. So I tried. And she's like, submit it. What's the worst that could happen? They say no. Like, who cares? Like, just try. And it got accepted. Which oh, is okay. so cool. <laughs> which is not normal. Like, at oh. all. That's not that's not so what normal. was so what was your first story about that you had to write amongst like all these other people oh it was actually there was a, a picture of a dude with wings so it was a paranormal romance totally different than the non because i use, I I use paranormal romance all the time in my yeah, daily totally. dialogue yes yeah, i'm a very multifaceted clear. artist okay so, so it's yeah it got accepted and um and I found out how much I loved, like, it was fun. And it really, I just found out how much I loved it. And so I thought, I want to take this seriously. Like, I want to do more and learn more and mm. and whatnot. And it is really abnormal to have your the first manuscript you ever write to be accepted. Mm-hmm. And it was just a small press, but it gave me that. How many words was your book? That was a novella. So it was like, was it? Oh, God. 28,000 words, I think. Oh, okay. So, like, yeah. right around a... Novella. Yeah. Like a wee. Yeah. yeah, just a wee. Just a wee novel. How many words are in yours? Just under 70,000. Yeah, I was going to say about 60. Oh, okay. 68, is it? Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Right. So, it it was because of that early, um, I guess, success, if you want to call it that, or validation that, yeah, this is cool, go in this direction, right. that I kept going in that direction, and then... Um, Started writing more, a short story, wrote a novel that was actually optioned for a movie in February, which Holy makes me super shit. excited. Like, so can you share some of your book names with me? Or with yes, us? that first one yes. is called Claiming Love. Claiming Love, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the short story is Duke Out at the Diner. Oh, I think I saw that on Goodreads today. Oh, yeah, probably. Okay. Yeah. That's only 3,000 words as a short. Yeah. Duke out at the diner. Yep. Okay. And then Kiss Me in the Rain. Oh, yeah. I saw that one, too. Okay. Yeah. And, yeah, it's Kiss Me in the Rain that got optioned for a movie a few months ago. Oh, my and gosh. You must be so proud. You know what? Are you freaking out a little? No, because the we were, we've just been so busy with other book stuff, and, like, my day job is... 
I'm right? so like, busy with my books. No, I'm just teasing. But it is, like, when it's, like, we presented in England this summer and getting that ready, and, like, I had a lot of reports <laughs> to do, so I actually haven't, like, really let it sink in. You have um, to take a minute and enjoy yeah, that. Yeah, actually you do. Because, yeah. you know, before you know it, you'll move on to something else and you won't get to kind of... Yeah, not take that moment. Yeah, you got to yeah. just have a feeling and yeah. have it, like, submerse you for a minute and just get to enjoy it a bit, right? Yeah. That's pretty flattering and complimentary. It's really, it's really cool. Super and I, cool. I write um, uh, traditional knowledge studies. Right, you told me that. So a little more on the more manual, nonfiction writing. Nonfiction. Yeah, that's super nonfiction writing, um, technical writing. But I love. But it. you still like it, even though I you may it. think it's kind of boring, right? Because it's kind of manual. You know what? Or? I am so lucky to work with an incredible group of people that don't want it boring. So they that. basically said, "Say, you know, when I ask, can I not make it boring?" They're like, "Go for it." Right. Yeah. So it's really Check. cool. Yeah. So it's basically like the book, the arts-based approach we took with this creative nonfiction for mm-hmm. for sharing the stories and mes- uh, messages and lessons that Dave wanted to share. Um, yeah. So I do that now for my day job, which is really cool. That's really cool. Yeah. So I've been writing for 11 years and I love it. Mm-hmm. And I'm still writing fiction, but... And you work full-time, too, or this is your full-time now? I, well, I do contract stuff, so sometimes oh, okay. it's, like, crazy busy, and other yeah. times it's like, I can actually clean my house this week. Yay! So. I don't know if I'd celebrate that. <laughs> I do. We all have to, different things of celebratory. I need a clean space to actually be the most productive. What case has stuck with you from the book? I would say... The from this book, sorry. From this book. There are a lot that stuck. Kind of there like are a lot that a stuck. Um, I, Dave, uh, I don't surprise Dave very often, but I surprised Dave when I announced that I started um, researching Buddhism to process writing this book with him. Um. Because he already thought I was chill. But it was hard to process. Because I had well, never I mean, been... saw, like, even one story for me. Like, I... Some of it was so heavy for me to read. So mm-hmm. I was really curious about, like, it your was, perspective. Yeah, it was super... Um, yeah, it was super hard. And I don't... Looking back, and sometimes when I read the stories now, I have no idea how I wrote them with you. Because... Mm. I don't, but I guess that's the cool part about art. When you decide to, when you decide to take on a project that's meaningful to you, mm-hmm. you ju- you do it. You just do it and mm-hmm. you, you process as you need to as you go through it. So yeah, that, so Buddhism actually helped. And then stoicism, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly. That actually helped me process and then release most so of the let stories. let go of some of the heaviness of it. And even, and even like the details of the story. So Dave can, Date, like when you right. ask for stories, they yeah. know it's exactly where in that book those stories are. Mm-hmm. I don't remember, hmm. which is good. I think for me to keep like a, a healthy mindset. Right. I I wrote what I needed to write, and was in the thick of it as I needed to be in the thick of it, and then found mechanisms to, yeah, process gently to process and, and, and then and 
productively and gently release. But the story, I guess, that hit me the hardest while writing was the story of the young girl from a, from all accounts, supportive family who chose, who chose, yeah, who chose a drug, a drug path and then saw somebody get shot in in the car. Is that, Mm -hmm. am I remembering that right? So when I, yeah, when Dave, when Dave gave me that, that story, to write that just yeah okay, that that's one leg. do you want me to read the story yeah okay i can find it yeah um i just gotta remember what the lesson is um that one might take a second that's okay so again I'm, it's not often that i stump him <laughs> or surprise him Mm, oh, I know where it is. It's in. Um, so I was thinking it was the one about the girl, yeah, in the hospital with the blue bow in her hair. But yeah. I don't think. Oh that's, no, it's no, it's not that one. It's the one um, where it was a lawyer, the prosecutor, prosecuting person that accepted like yeah. the mom's plea, and the judge accepted it, and everybody kind of worked together to get her. Yeah, so this is the story. What's the lesson? Well, the lesson really is um, by winning our path, we are better able to help someone else own theirs. Okay, great. A few years back, I worked a case involving a barely 20-something kid. At 14, she had left her life of security and family and spent the next years making a series of poor choices that led her to a savage moment. Witnessing the man she had been getting high with for a week being shot and killed inside the vehicle she was sitting in. Choking on gun smoke, scared and in shock, she called for help. In the investigation that followed, I was tasked with interviewing her, and I immediately struck by her complete lack of value for herself. The path she had chosen was not unlike others I had encountered. Some people are running from something, prompting high-risk choices, while others are running to something with the perception of something better, shinier, something more, whatever they need more to be. This woman wasn't running away from something. She had the security of a loving family. She was running towards perception of something better. During the interview, she shared that she had started her exper- by experimenting with street drugs for years. She had found herself between using and in and out of treatment facilities. She confided that this place, her in a new social group of like-minded druggies, as the next few years unfolded, she became addicted to opiates. While she was talking to me, detailing her descent, she was sweating, shaking, and sick. But the saddest part was that she believed this was the only version of herself. Her choices had broken her. To me, she seemed different from the others in the story of guns and drugs and death. You could tell she had been loved by a family, had a good foundation, and had a support system. By failing to choose a path that accepted that love and value or the help that had been present through her rehab stints, she had allowed her addiction to choose a rougher path. She forfeited her life for the addiction. She was trying to run to something that could never deliver. Over the next several years, I remained in contact with her and her family as she spiraled further and further down. Her body, not to mention her spirit, suffered the continual abuse. And she couldn't have been 90 pounds soaking wet. Her hair turned to straw like it does, and her face was the hollow ghost of a once vibrant kid she had been. Now arrested and in jail, her mother worked hard to secure treatment for her and diligently visit her while in custody. 
there was a plan in place. She was going to get help. On the day of her release from jail, this pleasant, now sober from her incarceration female, left the detention center and walked back into her life of drugs again. Another six months went by, and this young woman's mother grew desperate. She feared for her daughter's life. She had good reason to be scared. There was a dangerous new drug on the street, fentanyl. And her daughter was a textbook example of one who, based on previous choices, would hit that direction hard. For those suffering drug addictions, over time, the need for more drugs, chasing that first high, almost always leads to more crime to fund the increased craving. With the insatiable nature of addictions, a person's luck runs out. The bigger the addiction's appetite, the quicker they will find themselves back on the police radar. This is exactly what happened. This young woman did another stint in jail, but she had a family who loved her. Not everyone who chooses this path has an advocate, someone in their corner who doesn't give up on them. With an army of support, backed by a well-meaning defense attorney, a sympathetic court, and a well-intentioned prosecutor, and a loving mother, she has now chosen a path focused on sobriety. Mm. And by owning our path, we are better able to help someone else own theirs. And yeah, she was just, uh, um, uh, her family is, uh, an amazing family. I get, uh, every year since this happened, I get a text on Christmas day from them. Oh my gosh. And, uh, um, they're one of, you know, a few families that does that. And, uh, yeah, they're, um, I have never seen her sober. I don't know what she's like sober, but I know that she is sober. And she so that's was very, so young. She was. 14 years old. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So that's the story that gets you. That was the one. And I think maybe because that was one of the earlier stories that I, that I wrote or crafted. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I didn't have, I guess, like mechanisms to like, yeah, it was kind of to so brace raw. myself um, for for that. Um, yeah, I remember I was actually at a writing retreat in um, in the mountains, and and there was a, a river that ran through the, the where our cabins were, mm-hmm. and I I remember sitting on that river and just like letting that river just like take it, take away. it. yeah just like help me just take yeah just take away the the heaviness um of that that story in particular it just feels so heavy that um and also i guess a call a call to action for all of us to just every chance we can make sure that we are um just let the people in our lives and even the strangers in our lives know that they matter mm-hmm. always that they matter because who knows um who knows what yeah a smile or or saying thank you to somebody or or just putting effort into a even an interaction with a stranger who knows how that will have that butterfly effect um and make a positive difference in someone's life one thing i always talk about um on my show is just being kind like you don't have to be mean to people you mm-hmm. don't have to show any emotion but if you're going to just be kind yeah because you just never know you never know and i think too um something i've learned is that sometimes when we just witness what somebody else is going through we might not have solutions that you know to solve the problems they're going through or, or obviously a magic wand to make everything all better but right. if we witness for them and and just kind of hold their hand while they talk about it um yeah, not judge and just be there and listen. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I've I've also 
heard before just how potent that is. Um, yeah. So I don't know that, that, uh, that young girl, her story really hit me hard because mm-hmm. how many other young girls out there or young boys have, you know, um, go down a path that, uh, yeah, that won't support them, that won't lead to what they want. Well, and to come from a family that, you know, has the advocates there for her. Mm-hmm. And yeah. also it shows just how strong addiction can be mm-hmm. and the pull of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that, like, ripe young age of 14 and how, you know, yeah. raging hormones and raging pressures of being a teenager would. But also when you think, like, she could have thought, like, any any different path, like, whole rest of her life ahead of her. And, and now she does, right? Like, mm-hmm. cause she did, um, adjust a course that, that would lead her to not being in jail. Right? Yeah. Number one. <laughs> yeah. But and it's hopefully just, she is not, you know, using drugs and stuff. Yeah. I hope so day. too. You just right. want, people. I mean, the thing that always struck a chord with me with her was, uh, like from my experience in drugs, yeah. I know um, how the kind of the street works. Yeah, and you get a pretty young little thing like that into that mess, and I just can't. It's not pretty. Fathom the sort of the victimization that probably went on on a sort of. Well, she could end basis. up being Nikki, right? Right. Yeah, yeah. she could end up being Nikki. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's what always uh, struck with stuck stuck with me with her. Mm-hmm. I guess too through this book, like the universality of all these lessons, and it also boils down to people. You know, we make choices that we think will make us happy, right? Mm-hmm. And I guess we just want everybody to be happy, and you just hope that the choices they make truly make them happy. Whether it's a stranger, you know, a person that I've never met before, just know by story that Dave's, you know, shares or whatever. You just want people to be happy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, you want the outcome to be people to be okay and yeah. safe and mm-hmm. yeah happy and safe right happy, yeah. happy and safe yeah like a little girl like that being on the street um one thing that i love is that you incorporate all these lessons and you made it into a reason for the book so you created the lesson and then you wrote the story to go with it? Or did you, you have the story and then... You know, it's interesting, actually. We both. ended up um, kind of in the 11th hour. Um, the way it was written, and Sarah did a really lovely job uh, bridging a lot of the kind of concepts, like, through the book. Mm-hmm. You know, I as I read a paragraph, I can go, like, oh, I wrote that. Like, I know what I wrote, and I can certainly tell when Sarah puts her little two cents in mm-hmm. and um, I can see it all the way through the book. There's large portions of the book that are um, written by me mm-hmm. and there are large parts, portions of the book that are written by Sarah, but I can always tell when Sarah puts her like little um, finishing, touch finishing touch to something. it. And what was really lovely about it is so Sarah's was fantastic at taking like a story, bridging a concept to it. And um, like, if I read a thing, I'd be like, I wrote that word. I wrote that word. I wrote that word. And that is Sarah <laughs> right there. And, um, give and, us an example. Do well, you have so, something? so, so actually I'll go back to the story I just read. Okay. Cause I saw it right away. Do you, can you tell too? 
Yeah. You sort of can, or you know. Well, because, um, so this, this book has a voice. Well, all books have voice, right? Um, This one definitely has a voice. So this voice is, is 100% a collaboration between Dave and my voices. Mm -hmm. It truly is. Um, it and, really is, yeah. And our first editor, um, like one of our our first concept editor, um, she she edited actually kissing me in the rain. So as she's, I get the track changes back, right? And she's like, oh my god, I can totally hear your voice here. This is a Sarahism. I like you're talking to me right now, and I'm like, no, it's supposed to be first person, Dave. <laughs> but um, just like with Sarahism, but just like with paintings, right? Like you can tell artists by. Mm-hmm. By brush strokes a and like, shot, yeah, yeah, like you, you can get, you can identify oh, I different love artists. That. I see what you're saying. So, and the same is true for writing, right? So it's so the book is a collective, like basically Dave and my collective voice. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but if you read some of my other stuff, and if you read, um, I guess the technical reports I write now, yeah, and read this book, y- yeah, you'll be able to. I'll be able to string it together. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. And that concept, I actually loved. I'll tell you a short story while he's looking for yes, it. Yes, please. Um, when I was doing um consulting work, um, one of our uh, consulting work for for a big company, um, one of our clients, he had me review something because he knew I knew words and um could edit stuff, and he had me review this document and one of the things I asked him was did two people write this and he was like how could you tell that and I'm thinking how could, could you, you not, not tell yeah. this like this is yeah. so obvious well he knew that two people had written it but he thought but he didn't realize that it would be like obvious like when you read it yeah. And I guess, well, to me, because I love words, and to me, that's my, like, those are my palette, my brush stroke, you know, the different... Love it, yeah. Um, yeah, brushes I use that, yeah, it was pretty cute. How did you know that? That's kind of what I do. That's why you asked me to look at it. <laughs> Anyways, it was cute. You found it? Well, so, the, like, so the, the one that had struck me when I was reading that mm-hmm. passage would be this one. So, and, and tell me if... If I'm right or wrong, because okay. you know it, some of it gets mixed together right, too, right? right? Of course. <laughs> but because um, you have to understand too, in this process, Sarah would write a passage, she'd send it back to me, and I'd be like, mm, you know, I don't like that word, and we're going to change that yeah. word. But words, like even a single word, can change, even if the dictionary definition is the same, the nuance or the 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 energy of a word can absolutely shift. And we we really at a at a super we did hit the nuances of this. That's how deeply we... So I think the first part of this paragraph is mostly me, I think. I think the last part of the paragraph is mostly Sarah. Okay. So to me, she seemed different from the others in the story of guns, drugs, and death. You could tell she had been loved by a family, had a good foundation, had a support system. Okay, I think that's me. Mm -hmm. Sarah. By failing to choose a path that accepted that love and value or the help that had been present through her rehab stints, she had allowed her addiction to choose a rougher path. She forfeited her life for the addiction. That line she yep. is 100% Sarah. Yep. She was trying to run to something that could not, could never deliver. That is 100% Sarah. Yep. Mm. Yep. That's being on actually what's Dave's and what's mine. Yeah. Like, and I look at this one, I say, you know, um, this is Sarah here. At 14, she left her life of security and family and spent the next years making a series of poor choices. A letter to, I, I think that actually might be me. Letter to a savage moment. That was definitely Sarah. S- savage moment? Yeah. 
That's a question mark. I'd have to go back. Witnessing the management cheat. Okay, witnessing the man. This is me. I know. I remember being proud of this. <laughs> witnessing, <laughs> witnessing the man she'd been getting high with for a week, being shot and killed inside the vehicle she was sitting in. I liked giving short, punchy descriptos. Choking on gun smoke, scared and in shock. She called help. Call for help. I like that you. choking. That was me. Right. I like the cho- be proud of that. That's a good one. Because uh, I like the choking. Oh, that's very gun, visual. On uh, guns. Yeah, you it's can visceral, this girl. Right? Yeah, like you can even feel that. Just like when like I say, on a hot summer's day, a young boy goes upstairs, pulls back the shower curtain, right, and shoots himself in the head. Yeah, that's me. Right. Um, it's very matter of fact. It's very. But even by pulling back the shower curtain, like. Some readers like me, when I first read that one, I hear a shower curtain being sliding. Yeah, yeah, that's scraping. Yeah, that, right. That's yeah, ten on ten. Mm-hmm. Chapter one of this book was almost all written by Sarah, and the conclusion was all written by Sarah. In chapter one, our writing process was different. Yeah, so we were doing a lot more of this. Mm-hmm. Having dialogue, and then Sarah was putting it into, and that's how chapter Story one was, farm. and yeah. that's how chapter one was created. And when I got it back, she did a lovely job, but it wasn't me, right? And I didn't like the voice. Yeah, um, I needed to be more inserting, mm-hmm. and so I started to put more. Well, you started to write raw content. I actually started to write. Yeah, it. yeah you're like, okay, yeah. I gotta do this yeah a little for sure, so that I can control a little bit of the voice. Mm-hmm. Chapter one is uh, definitely, uh, um, I think there's a very uh, strong um, Sarah voice in that chapter. And it's kind of funny because as we meld together at the very end, because we do, our writing is sort of melded together now. um, I can tell you that the very last chapter, Gavel Drop, I don't know that I changed a word. You didn't change anything. That was Sarah. So if you were to read I this book, <laughs> I read that I read that one just again this morning. While and I gavel saying. drop is mm-hmm. that is one hundred percent Sarah's. I need a conclusion, and she did it, and 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 it was perfect. Mm-hmm. But that's what partners do, right? But like, we learned from each other, and she right. knew what I would accept and what I wouldn't accept, and I and uh, what I and felt you were pretty with. raw at that time. Like yeah. you just he was not in a headspace to write the conclusion, and we needed that conclusion. Finished. Right. So finish. I just, hey, dude, do you mind if I take a first crack at it? And you're like, yes, that'd be great. So, and I, <laughs> one and, second later, uh huh. <laughs> but a lot, but there's other areas of the book, of course, that, you know, I can definitely hear me in it and yeah. I can see like the little Sarah colloquialism. Mm-hmm. So, going back to your original question about mm-hmm. lessons, when did they come in? I would say we added about 60% of our lessons after the book was written. Mm. And so what we did is we took out a lot of the bridging concepts that Sarah had used to kind of like frame different things. We pulled those out and those became the lessons. Well, it was interesting because our, our, uh, the editor we had, our content editor, so not concept, but content editor, um, she's like, so you guys have a lot of lessons in the beginning of the book and then not as many later. Like, is that by design or did you guys just get super wrapped up in writing? And, and that I thought was too, they kind of got just fewer and fewer, but the content, if I can. Oh yeah. 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 But the content became so much more valuable. Right. Felt like we were learning our lessons and had the, the stories 
And now we know our lessons, and now we can apply appreciate them. the story right. and yeah. apply yeah. the story. I felt that. I, I like that. that. I like that. Yeah. We, we actually ended up starting. We actually ended up starting counting. So we would look at each chapter, <laughs> and we'd say, "Okay, we have ten lessons in each chapter. We want to oh, get the ten geez. lessons in each chapter." Yeah. So, you know, some of them are a little bit forced, kind of at different places where there's not a chapter that has as many, what I would say, good life lessons, but good universal lessons. Yeah. But we tried to get our count closer. So some chapters might have eight, mm-hmm. others might have 12. Well, it's a formula, right? So right. you had to kind of like... But you wanted, to... we just wanted to make sure that we, because we use butterflies mm-hmm. as the visual, visual image for the book. So we yeah. want, we didn't want to go too many pages right. without a butterfly. So we literally like chose a way to, yeah, highlight the lessons with yeah. a super visual. Mm-hmm. So yeah, which I loved. Yeah. Which I it loved. is cool. So you, I'm yeah. really liking this paperback. Like I've been reading it on my Kindle, which is not yeah. as effective. Well, you're going to get that one. Yeah. So something else that was so interesting was in the book you say, correct me with the numbers, but you say, you know, we've talked about 40 cases. And you probably think most of them are about men. Or no, most of them are about women, but they're actually most about men. What did you say there? No, I can't remember. Oh, oh, no, we have to address this. Yeah. This was a specific thing. So I really thing want to talk about this. So sure. I'm I brought just not it getting up my question and, right. And two of our editors brought it up. So yeah. when when you get a sense that there's a lot of stories about women. Women being injured or victimized. Yeah. And children. Women and children. Um, and there is a bit of a bias there because a lot, there's a lot more, there, there are, there are actually more male victims in the book than female or children victims in the book. I know, like, you actually wrote it in here. You're like, yeah, Yeah, well, we want, you're not going to understand how many you've, that was one of the end chapters. Is it eight? No, it's in Devil's Advocate. Because it has to deal, it has to deal with biases and we have biases. Yes. So So what happens is we read over. The, uh, I think a lot of us do this. We read over the things that make sense to us. So it makes sense that, you know, homicide victims, like in our world, the way that we kind of perceive things, mm-hmm. we always perceive things, um, sort of with a bit of a, a naivety. Mm-hmm. And we don't like to think of women and children being victimized. And so when we read stories about women and children being victimized, which is an absolutely terrible thing. Trauma, yes. Those stick with us more. I just wanted to remind readers that there are a lot of stories in here that deal with male victims as well. But what you, but you, what you just experienced is your own sort of bias. Right. And so. Because our editors are, (coughs) our editors are also female. So the three of us are like, what? With that, and so I went through and accounted. Mm -hmm. But with that said, with that said, I will, I will say this. That it just so happens, and I don't know wh- why it is this way. It within our unit, um, for a long time, certain investigators get certain get certain types of files. There is no particular reason for this. It, we do it up per turn. So today it's Valerie's turn to yeah, take next a new step. case. You don't know what's you don't know what's going to come through the door, right? Right, and Sarah's going to be the f- after you, and then I'm going to be the third. We don't know. We've already determined that you're going to be the next mm-hmm. investigator, but we don't know what you're going to get. Right. We don't know what Sarah's going to get, and we don't know what I'm going to get. So it's For, even. It, yeah. But you know what? 
for whatever reason, whenever it's your turn to take a file, mm-hmm. it's going to be some kind of gang-related thing. Right. Like, we just seem to have that in our unit. Like, you get a lot of the gang files. Mm-hmm. And Sarah gets a lot of the um, children's deaths. Right. And just so happens that when I get files, and this is the truth, the majority of my homicide victims over 11 years have been women. Okay. And not all of them. Right. But a lot of them. Okay. Uh, predominantly, I would say, uh, predominantly more women. And an unexplainable percentage because for, of the way what? you guys for are what? selected for leading. Yeah, because there's no rhyme or reason for why that should happen. Mm-hmm. It just seems to happen. So, yes, there's a bias by the reader reading the book. We gloss over the cases that involve men, and we really remember the ones that resonate when it involves women. Well, our whole society is save women and children. Right. Every movie... Every awful thing that might happen, you save women and children. Like we are like this separate entity. But I, but it was, yes. And we really, one of the things that was pointed out to us though is, is that, you know what, Dave, you want to make, you want to make sure that you acknowledge this on some level. Yeah. Because we don't want the world to think that it's just women and children that are being. But we also talked about this and those cases are domestics. They are. The majority of them. Yeah. Right. With you, which is like almost all our intimate partner relationships. And I just seem to have. And the men, the, the male homicides, what would be. They're not domestics. Right. So they are going to be the two young fellows that get in a fight at a bar. Or they're going to be. Gang related. Gang related or drug related or. I mean, we do have intimate partner violence uh, between men as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, but. Like homosexual couples. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Things like. Well, and some. I was going to say, is it 15% of domestic violence is women against men? Yeah. That's right. So about 85% of the time, men are abusers in domestic violence situations. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's 15% of the time where that's not the case. Where it's... Um, yeah, yeah. Right. But, um, you know, the ones that I remember certainly are the ones that are... That's the 85% rule. And a lot of the cases that I've had just happen to involve... I get missing women and... Uh, murder children on a regular basis. Hmm. It's just what happens. I am somebody who is very purposeful about things. Right. Like I like there to be a reason and a, and a right. purpose. And it's like so much so that I, I don't look for it. It just happens that way. There's right. a purpose for us meeting because I read right. this book and it really touched me. Right. Um, and like thinking about you just giving this very objective example of mm-hmm. who would be up next for something. And you always get that case. There's a reason why that happens. I, I think that too. So there's something in, yeah. right. There's something yeah. in the atmosphere or in the timing of like, if someone, if that person, the policeman is coming in to deliver the case to you, if he got stopped at a light and then the next policeman showed up first and then she would yeah. get the case for mm-hmm. me. Right. It's all that stuff. Yeah. So I believe that there's a reason why. And, and there could be, and I don't know what it exactly is. It doesn't have, there doesn't yeah. have to be the, I the thought about it often. To it. I, but it is, but it's in your belly. Like, you know, this have, person always gets this. We have this one cases. guy in our office. Everyone. I, I can't stand it. Like his investigations <laughs> drive me crazy because it's, it's, you know, it's not for a love, a lack of love for the victim. His cases drive me crazy because they are very, they're just not, they're just not simple. 
like that guy shot this guy. Right. <laughs> like they are <laughs> convoluted. They are convoluted yeah. messes of things. Yeah. And sometimes cause of death is even like a little bit like, you know, <laughs> yeah. and, and it's like, how do you get these messed up files all the right. time? Good thing he gets them and not you, but he'll tell you, he works them so hard and he finds the right answer. Yeah. And I mean, I can think of at least one occasion where I told him specifically that I thought he was crazy. Yeah. And, uh, turned out I was the one that was wrong. <laughs> and so, um, he, I need to meet this man and shake yeah. his hand. So he, like. so he, uh, you know, hats off to him, but for whatever reason, he just gets these files. And I, maybe it's because if he's such a tenacious, can't accept what appears to be facts in front of you and yeah. he digs deeper. I don't know what it is, mm-hmm. but he just seems to get them. And I've often thought that that maybe is the universe somehow trying to, you know, each person has their own. Yeah. I mean, it's like what you were saying with words, right? Like yeah. you have your brush stroke or you, yeah. the way yeah. that you write or the words that you use are your like really personal. Well, we call it voice, voice, right? It's your voice. Yeah. And so, yeah, like, I believe that. Yeah. And you, you, I mean, you obviously do too, because it's, you're just like, uh, how yeah. can that be? <laughs> right. I will, I will, uh, once we're done here, yeah. I will, sh- I will share with you a very, um, personal, uh, example, aff- affirmation and it'll make you. Okay. I don't know if I should cry again on no, live. You won't, but I so, will share with you a very personal one. So oh, that would be lovely. Yeah. I honestly believe you're going to get the best bang for your buck if we get a full tank of gas Mm -hmm. and we just drive. I'm in. I'm in. Because, girl, I'm telling you, within this six blocks, I can probably come up with 15 stories. Okay. So, on that note, I'm (laughs) going to... So, as I mentioned at the top of the show, we had grand plans for this interview to become a series. And right now, that just isn't feasible. And how the world is right now, we're not sure when it will be. So, for now, we will leave it at this. Grab a copy of Dave and Sarah's book. Check out the show notes for links to all of the books, hers as well. Websites that we've discussed today and the following episode and follow us all on our socials to keep up to date on what's happening. One day, Dave and I will do this drive-along, and we will meet up again and continue this discussion. Until next time, I'm Valerie Moss in Studio 17.